I prepare my messages um, a, a long time ahead. Pastor Joel and I have been going through the book of Mark, so I have a pretty good idea of where I'm going. Had a good idea several months ago where I was going through the book of Mark. And so I'm coming to this passage of the transfiguration. And it, it's about death. And I thought it was interesting. I, I, I prepared the message uh, at least three or four weeks ago on death. And it was uh, significant that our dear, our dear friend Carol Rogers uh, died just this last week. We'll have her service next Saturday here at, at 2 o'clock. But there's been so many other deaths in the church. I think we've had about eight or nine deaths in our church. Only one from COVID, but eight or nine deaths in our church over this year. Lost spouses, lost a child. We've had some uh, pre-born babies. Uh, mothers have lost their little baby before the baby was born. And so there's at least a dozen people have been affected and then all the people that are touched by death. And it's something we don't know how to talk about, really. We don't really know what to say. And so Jesus addressed it very squarely in this passage in, in Mark. There were three, there's probably three events in our life that are the most significant. Uh, one is our birth, obviously. We don't remember that, but our mothers do and fathers do. And then our salvation, the, the day that we come to Jesus and give our lives to Jesus and we're born again, we become new creations in Christ and we begin this process that we call the Christian life. And then finally is, is our death or moving beyond the veil. We call it moving beyond the veil. And we were talking about this with, with Jim and Jim's family when, when Carol passed. And it's kind of like you, you close your eyes in this world and you move behind, the, the, the picture comes from Moses in the Ark of the Ark of the Covenant was behind the veil in the tabernacle. And once a year in the Day of Atonement, the high priest would go beyond the veil. Nobody else could go there, it's beyond the veil, and he met with God. So that expression, moving beyond the veil, comes from that. That when you close your eyes, you, you literally move from this world to the next world with no time in between. You're there, you're there. And so that's what Jesus is teaching in this passage. This passage, called the Transfiguration, this period of time, is uh, probably one of the three greatest events in the New Testament. Uh, number one, obviously, is the cross. We're paid for all of our sins. We just talked about that. Number two, or maybe number one, is the resurrection of Jesus. And we have the resurrection power and the kingdom come. And, and then number three would be this period of time, transfiguration, which is very difficult to follow. So I'm going to turn in your, you're going to turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 9, and we're going to follow along what was Jesus saying and why did he do this when he showed them what it was like to, we, we call it dying, but what is it like to move from this world to the other world? And he's giving a, uh, an object, a living object lesson to the disciples. So you're going to find that in Mark chapter 9. So here's the big idea. Although the Christian life may be difficult, and for us, most of us, life is not really, really difficult. I was telling you earlier about um, Pastor Shadrach, just heard news that five more people, and by the way, we sent that money to Congo, we sent uh, several thousand dollars to Congo, and they are so grateful. They're going to send a video back of some of the food and the water and the shelter they were able to get because we sent that money to them. But they're still in the middle of this genocide and he had five family members that were just shot. And then we had uh, news yesterday, brokenhearted. Pastor Shadrach called me again 
one of their new church members. In, so the, the Congolese church is part of our church. And Pastor Shadwick is part of our staff, and, and he leads this church of about 150 people. And a, a family from Congo just moved to Vancouver. And on Thursday night, uh, they found the body of their son, 24 years old, floating dead in the English Bay. And I can't even imagine the grief. We're, we're working with the family and trying to help them through this process. But here they're just brand new immigrants to uh, Vancouver, and we don't know why he was there. We don't know. He was worshiping in the church, our church, last Sunday. And this Sunday he's gone. So for many, for many, whether it's for us or not, for many, life is very difficult. But Jesus is showing them that as we move through the veil, it, it's all of the struggle is worth it all. Remember that's why it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. And that happens instantly when we, what we call, what we call death. So that's what we're going to talk about today. I put the definition of transfiguration. It's a word that we don't really use very much. Uh, it's this describing what happened to Jesus uh, Webster's Dictionary said it's a change of form or appearance, a metamorphosis, like a, a caterpillar becoming a butterfly or a tadpole becoming a frog. And um, so we open up in Mark chapter 9, verse number 1. This, now, the, the context of this is that he had just been up in Caesarea Philippi with his disciples. It's summer 29 A.D. And he's going to die in April 30 A.D., so we're about six months before so he's really pouring on the, the pressure on his disciples to get it. And again, they were thinking that he's going to be the, the great general on the white horse and ride in and save them and raise up an army. And they still had their minds. So he's just told them up on Caesarea Philippi after Jesus said, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah. Then he said to them, I as the Messiah am going to die. I'm going to Jerusalem now. We're, we're headed for Jerusalem. We're going together. We're going to die. I'm going to die. And then after three days, I'm going to rise again. Well, that was inconceivable to them. They're trying to get this through their head about this death thing and this resurrection thing that they just didn't conceive of a Messiah doing. So they've just come there. Now they've, they've walked about 14 miles from Caesarea Philippi, but way up in the north end of Israel. And they, they walked across the, to Syria today. And it's Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon's 9,000 feet high. It's quite a high. It's the only real mountain that has snow kind of year-round there. And they're climbing up that mountain. They've walked this 14 miles, couple-of-day walk. And they're climbing up the mountain. And he says to um, the disciples, all of them that are with him, in Mark chapter 9, verse 1, he said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. So he's about to show them what happens after the kingdom comes with power. After life is over, when death is, comes, what comes after? And there's some that are going to be privileged to see it, he tells the disciples. They don't know who it is. We know now it's Peter, James, and John. We're going to see that in a minute. So we are all going to die. Unless Jesus comes, if Jesus comes today, then we go straight up. Other than that, we are all going to die at some point in time of physical death. But 
God wants to give us, and thank God for this, he gave us a foretaste of what happens when, when we die, what comes after when we die. So that's what we're going to look at. Now, Peter and John were both invited to come with Jesus, James also. They're invited to come with Jesus. The other disciples weren't quite ready for this. And so he takes them up to this mountain. And uh, here's what Peter wrote later on, years later after he had seen this amazing, unforgettable sight. In 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter is writing his letter to the church. We did not follow cleverly devised myth. This whole thing about Jesus and the resurrection and life after death and salvation, this is not a myth. I, I, I know it because I've seen it. We didn't follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We, we saw this. This was acted out right in front of us. For when he, received, when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves, I was there, he says. We heard his voice born from heaven. We were with him on the holy mountain. So Peter has this vivid memory of entering into the presence of the resurrection transfigured Jesus. James, or John, writes in the beginning of his book called John, the word became flesh, so God put himself into human form, and he, the word tabernacled, he set up his tent among us. He, he lived like a normal human being among us, and we saw his glory. We saw his glory. Glory is the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. So what I did is I, I took this passage, which is in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And it's, it's really good to read the three beside e each other, because some will be of a different perspective on what happened. And he gives this, uh, this view that we don't have any other time into what it's like for people that die. I, I wrote two books, which I'll just, if you ever need something like this, we, we would give as many as you want to you. Uh, the first one is called Dying Well. And for some reason, I haven't sold a lot of these. People don't want to read this. <laughs> but, it, but it talks about the pro. We need to prepare. I was talking to somebody this week. They said, we've just made our will, re redone our will. Matter of fact, I've talked to two couples this week that have just done that. that. That's all part of that process. We need to prepare for death because we don't know when it's coming. And then it also talks about what do you do when somebody dies, you know, what, what do you do, cremation or burial, and you, how does the coroner work in, and, and, and what, the whole process that you go through with that. That's called Dying Well. And the other one is called Good Morning, M-O-U-R. And, and this is about us. Because we, we, we know this side of the world. We don't know what on the other side, which I'm going to tell you about now. But we know this side, that we go through this tremendous grief process. And, and it's rightfully. It takes about two years. Ne never forget, but it takes two years of real intense working through this mourning process, all the feelings that go with that. So whether it's through divorce or whether through sometimes losing your job, uh, sometimes losing a dog or whatever, there's this mourning process that we go through, especially when it's somebody that's close to us. So three, um, three observations, five observations. I'm going to take you to Mark chapter 9. We're going to read that first and just tell the story. And what Jesus is saying here is, is, is my point number one. 
Uh, Jesus is saying, life is hard, life is difficult, and especially for the disciples, they all died as martyrs. But on the other side, it's going to be worth it all. That, that's kind of what he's saying. So I'm going to read the story to you in Mark chapter 9. We're on Mount, Mount Hermon now. It doesn't say that, but the assumption is that we're there. And he said to them, the, the disciples, truly I say to you, there are some standing who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come in power. So we're going to have a view into the after. After six days, uh, interesting, Luke says eight days, but it's just like us saying, in about a week. It's just that kind of a casual time. They may be talking before or after the event. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John and led them up to a high mountain by themselves. Now, Mark doesn't tell us this, but Luke tells us that when they got there, they were sleeping. They're going to pray. Mark doesn't even tell us that. But Luke tells us they're going up to the mountain to pray. That, that's why they're going. Because he's got something he wants to show them. And like in the Garden of Gethsemane, they're getting sleepy. Do you ever get sleepy when you pray? I do. And we're, we're praying, Lord, stay with me one more hour. And, and so they're getting sleepy. As this is happening, they're getting sleepy. That's kind of significant, but Mark doesn't tell us that. And they're up in the high mountain, and he was transfigured before them. There's that word. And the best they could describe it, um, and his, Mark is writing what Peter has told him. Remember, Peter is the guy that was there, and he's told Mark all this. And his clothes, and Matthew tells us his face also, became radiant. So he, what he's doing now is showing us what happens when this human body becomes an imperishable heavenly body. It, it's something none of us has seen. But this is what happens to every believer who has died is their body has shifted. It's a different body. And they were looking at this different body. His face was glowing. His clothes were glowing. So intensely white, he describes as no, no one could bleach them. So if you picture uh, a silver uh, car or something, the sun is shining, and it's so it just kind of reflects back in your eyes, or you're looking in a mirror and you see the reflection of the sun. You can't even look at it it's so bright. It's that kind of brightness. His whole body is transfigured. His clothes, everything is just shining white. And no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to him, now we have Elijah, we're going to meet him. He hasn't been around for 850 years, been waiting for this event. And then Moses hasn't been around for about 1,400 years. He's here. We're going to talk about that in a minute. They were talking with Jesus. Now, again, Mark doesn't say this, but if you read the Luke passage in chapter 9, it says that they were talking about his death. They, they knew the story. They knew what was happening. The disciples didn't really get it yet, but he's talking about what's to come, their, his death. They're having this chat. And Peter, and they're watching this thing. Peter said, Peter, foot in his mouth, Rabbi, it's good that you are here. Let's make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He didn't know what he was saying, for he was terrified. He also just woke up. You know how you, when you're, you're, you're kind of sleepy, you're just like, ah, what's happening? And, and that's kind of where he was at this point. They're terrified. They don't know what they're saying. Jesus is glowing, so you can hardly look at him. We talked about, show me your glory. We just sang that. And the glory is shining him, and, and they can't see. And now they're seeing Moses and Elijah. So he said, let's make three tents. And God speaks out of the cloud, the Shekinah, the glory that was over the tabernacle, the glory that came in the temple when Solomon dedicated the temple, that Shekinah glory of God. 
uh, shadowed, overshadowed them, and a voice, I just wonder what this sounds like. I can't wait to hear the voice of God. The voice came out of the cloud, this is my beloved son, shut up, Peter, and listen to him. <laughs> just don't, don't talk, this is not the time to talk. It's like David wrote in Psalm 42, be still and know that I am God. I'm in control here. So we get into a death situation, and, and we are, we don't know what to say. And sometimes that's just what we do. We just be still and know that God is God. It's okay. I'm in control. Something's happening beyond your understanding, but I am God, and I'm in control. That's what God is saying to God is saying from heaven. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, they've done this. Their kind of mouths are open. He charged them not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. The reason probably for that is because they didn't have the whole story. They, they didn't really get it yet. And they couldn't put the pieces together until after the resurrection. Ah, that's what that was all about. And so he says, don't even talk. When, when you don't understand things, pastors should know this. We don't, don't talk about stuff you don't understand. He said, I don't know. We, some things we just don't know. So don't talk about it. And so they kept the matter to themselves. That's amazing. Didn't tell anybody. Even secretly, don't tell anybody. But you know what I saw? Tell your wife or your kids or something. Uh, questioning. And, and so they kept questioning themselves. What does this rising from the dead mean? What is this rising from the dead? What's this other body all, all about here? So that's the first thing. It, 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 there's, there's something good going to come. You don't have to worry. Life is going to be hard, but there's something good coming at this point of death. Number two. Number two. And, and again, this is incomprehensible for us. If you watch movies of heaven, now there's one that came out about the little boy or something that went to heaven and, and saw stuff and, and told everybody what he saw. Don't, don't, don't go for that. Uh, heaven is completely different than earth. It's as different as earth as life inside mommy's womb as this is. It, it's a different world and indescribable. I don't know if you play golf or not, but I, I think there'd be better games than golf. There's got to be, right? Baseball or whatever. You know, tell people, yeah, you're going to play golf in heaven. They're teeing off tomorrow or whatever. Tell them whatever you want, but it's a completely different world, and we're just getting a glimpse of this here. So here's what Paul says to the Corinthians, trying to explain the, what happened to Jesus in this moment and what happened to those that have died the moment... They close their eyes on earth, what happens to them, whether it's an unborn baby or an adult. He's explained there's heavenly bodies and there's earthly bodies. The ones in the movie where you go and the little boy's in heaven, he sees grandpa and grandma in their human body, that, that's play acting. They've got brand new bodies. You may recognize people, but they don't look like grandpa looked before. Thank God for that, we get new bodies. So if you die at 90 years old with wrinkles and no hair, and you're gonna be better. In heaven, you're going to have hair and everything. So there's earthly bodies and there's heavenly bodies. But the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, the glory of the earthly. There is a glory to the human bodies. You can see that. It's just like the sun and the moon. 
You can't compare the glory of the sun, which is intrinsic in the sun, from the glory of the moon that is reflected light. You can't compare them two. So you can't compare the human body with the spiritual body. So now we've got death, this moment of death. We've got a human body in front of us. That body is now finished with every bit as much as the cocoon, the caterpillar who's become a butterfly is finished with his cocoon. It's done. So what you do with that body, of course you treat it with honor, treat it with respect and love because that's how you knew the person, but that's not the person anymore. That person is now in a glorified body like Jesus was. So you can now cremate that body, you can bury that body, you can hug that body, you can do whatever you want, but that body's done with. So now we've got heavenly bodies, earthly bodies, and they have two different glories to them. Now come down to earth, that earth now and, and look at the process that we're in. So um, Paul tells this to the Corinthians again. We also, we who are believers in Jesus have accepted the gift of life with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. We're being metamorphosized. We're in process. It's happening on the inside. My, my body is the same or getting older, but my inside is tr being transformed to be like the inside of Jesus. When Jesus really was transfigured, he really was turned inside out. And, and we saw the, the, the holiness and the glory of God inside Jesus. That's what's happening to us, but it's not finished yet. We're in process, right? Anybody finished? No, we're, we're being transformed from the inside. He's working on our hearts. When we see him, John says, we will be like him for we'll see him as he is. So this process is finished. When we die, we move into this new, new body. We're being transformed into the same image from one glory, one degree of brightness to another. This comes from the Lord who is, who is the spirit. That's number two, so our bodies are changing. Number three, let's deal with Moses and Elijah couple of interesting things. You remember Moses, when he was 120 years old, it was time for him to die. How, how did he die? It says he went up into the mountain and he died alone. And then they went and looked for his body and they didn't find it. So assumedly, we don't know this for sure. We don't know what happened to that body. God took it and there's another passage that tells about Michael coming to get the body and there are devils fighting over that body because God's got another use for this body. We're going to see this body here and we may even see it if we're, we hopefully won't see it, but during the tribulation, he'll come down again. So God's not finished, even though he died, we, he's not finished with the body, so it seems like he brought the body back. The second guy, Elijah, is, uh, is a, a guy that didn't die. There's just a couple in the Bible. There's Enoch in the early part of Genesis, and then there's Elijah back around 850 BC. Moses is the, the giver of the law. So he, all the law comes under Moses. And Elijah was the first and called the greatest of the prophets. He, he's the one that's figuratively gonna sit at the head table at Passover, and that's why the Jews always leave a seat empty at Passover for Elijah. He, he's the greatest of the prophets. So he represents the prophetic writings. Both prophesied that Jesus was going to come. So they got to see this. But he never died. When he was ready to go, a chariot of fire, literally, a chariot of fire came down. You know, swing low, sweet chariot. And the chariot came down. He got in this chariot of fire. And Elisha, his disciple, saw him up in heaven. So God's not finished with Elijah yet. 
So now, 1,400 years after Moses and 850 years after Elijah, God brings them back to this mountain. So a, a couple of things about that. Moses dies, the way he dies is a natural death. We assume that he died natural death. Elijah died by miraculous being swept up to heaven. Some people die a natural death as those that have died before. Some of us, if we're here when Jesus comes back, will be like Elijah and we just were transported into heaven. So they represent the two, two ways that we will die. But the other interesting thing about Moses and Elijah is that Peter, James, and John recognized them immediately. They'd never seen pictures of Moses. How'd they know who this guy was? So what that tells me is, I don't know even if they looked like they did when they were on earth, we don't know that, but what that tells me is there's instant recognition of people when you go to heaven. So that part of the movies is accurate. So when you see your mother, your father, your grandfather, your brother, those lost babies, when you see that, you'll instantly recognize them. Won't have the same relationship because we're all part of the family of God, but we'll instantly recognize. That's number three. Number four, and this is also very uh, interesting. Peter, Peter didn't know what to do. He's always the first to speak, and God bless him. God loved him, and God used him in a powerful way. But Peter kind of put his foot in his mouth and said, let's build three tents, and let's just live here, these three tents. Let's make a shrine that we can come back. A couple of things that I notice in this passage. One is that we tend to want to stay in the glory. So you're at a worship conference. I was talking to my grandson, Alex, and he was describing this worship conference. And there's thousands of youth that were there. And it was just the presence of God was there. Nobody wanted to go home. They just worshiped and worshiped and worshiped. And nobody wanted to go home. That's wonderful. But there is a time when that glory is done and you go back to life. You go back to your marriage, you go back to working, you go back to preparing food and washing dishes and washing clothes. You, you, you don't stay in that glory place. As a matter of the song that Keaton led us, he walks with me and he talks with me, uh, he bids me go. It's not time yet. You don't live in, in this place. Another application that I see there is with people that have died. And you hear stories from time to time of people that they're on the operating table and they die, they, they, they move from this place to another place. And, and the, one of the things they almost inevitably say is, I don't want to go back. I don't want to go back. And sometimes you hear stories how God says, no, your time's not done, you got to go back. But once a person has passed through the veil, has passed to the other side, they are totally content. I mean, that butterfly does not want to become a caterpillar again. And we don't ever have to mourn their, their life. We're mourning ourselves because of our loss. We miss them terribly, but we don't mourn their life. They are delightfully happy, and they do not want to come back anymore. They're, they're there waiting for you, and they're completely happy there. So Peter and, and, and um, John, they just said, look, we just want to stay here. And Jesus said, no. Let's come to number five. Now we have number five, when we have the God, God the Father steps in as, as God did at the baptism, and he said, this is my beloved son whom I'm well pleased. God has put a stamp of approval on Jesus' work and his ministry and ultimately his death. And uh, he, he speaks to Peter and kind of shuts Peter up. And his, his word is, listen to him. <laughs> listen to him. 
Probably one of the greatest themes in the Bible is learn how to listen to God. And the inclination is that you would go back, intimation, that you would go back. And I'm going to give you a couple of verses here. Uh, the glory of God's presence was so great that they, uh, they wanted to stay there. We want to stay in God's presence. But here's the verse in uh, Luke 19. He said, a nobleman went to a distant country. He received a kingdom for himself, then returned. And he called his 10 slaves, that's us, gave them 10 minas. That's our assignment. And he says, go do business with this until you come. Go back. It's over. And the whole scene was over. Now we've got to go back to our life, knowing that this is coming, knowing what's happened to those that have died before us. Now we go back to real life. Here's John chapter 9. We must work the works of him who sent me. As long as it's day, night is coming when no one can work. So keep working while we're here. And the last one I put down is 1 Corinthians 13. No man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Now we build on that foundation, wood, hay, straw, gold, silver, precious stones. One day your work will come evident, will be revealed with fire. The fire will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he receives the reward. So these moments of glory that we have are, are moments and they're wonderful. But now we go back to, to work again. We have an assignment. On um, Friday, I was having a Bible study with our Chinese church. And we are, we're going through the book of Joshua. And Joshua, he's a great, great leader. Picture of Jesus is taking, taking the land, won all the wars and made a couple of mistakes, but basically won all the wars. And finally, he's 110 years old, and he takes the, the assignment, talks to his tribal leaders, and he says, I'm going to give you this area, I'm going to give you this area, I'm going to give you this area, you this area, you all have an assignment, go do your assignment now. And then he says, always remember, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. You choose who you're going to serve, you get an assignment, do it, but as for me and my house, we're just going to continue to walk in God's ways. Sadly... Sadly, they didn't do real well. They didn't do real well. But we too have been given an assignment. I sat with Johannes uh, from uh, Ethiopia a couple of, last week I guess it was, and we did a video which I'm going to show in three or four weeks. And you're just going to love this. And I'll tell you one of the stories that he told me and it just really hit me hard. He, he had come to Canada. He went to uh, University of Manitoba, and he became, he's a soccer player, and he became a soccer star, soccer coach, and just did really, really, really well. And married Kara from Vancouver here, and God spoke to him at a certain time, and he said, I want you to go back to Ethiopia. He's not a pastor. He's, he's got a business degree, and he's not a pastor. And God said this to him. He says, what's in your, what's in your hand? And soccer is his life. He says, well, there's a soccer ball. Then take what's in your hand and you use that. And you're going to hear the story how he takes this soccer ball. That's his, his talent that God has given to him. And everybody in the world plays soccer. He can go into the depths of the Congo or up uh, to Sudan or uh, Somalia and take his soccer ball. And instantly there's 100 people around playing soccer. And the rest are watching they, soccer is it. And then he used that soccer ball to introduce them to teamwork and to leadership principles, to values, and then to the word of God. 
And then he, he leads them to Jesus. They baptize them. They're baptized in the Holy Spirit all through the soccer ball. What's in your hand? What's in your hand? Your assignment has to do with what you have in your hand. You're not me. I'm not you. You're not somebody else. What's in your hand? You use it for the glory of God. Amen? Let's pray. Let's pray. And worship team, come back. Well, Father, we thank you for this challenge. A wonderful story. We wish we were there, but we weren't there. But we can read about the story. And we thank you for the assurance that you have given us that we're going to be okay when we, we call it dying, when we pass through the veil, you're going to do a, a miracle in our bodies. And Lord, we thank you for all those that have died this year. I think of many spouses that have died. We thank you for them, Lord. We bless them. And we bless all those that are grieving or mourning, feeling the pain of the loss, Lord God. We bless them. We pray for that family. I think of that family that their son was found dead, Lord. And I just can't even imagine the grief that they're going through. And we pray for them, Lord. We just pray for the peace of God, the shalom of God to cover them and the comfort knowing that their son is with you. Thank you, Jesus, for this important lesson. We give it to you. We give it to you. Apply it to our lives that we have an assignment. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.